You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. I miss you. I missed you so much. How are you? Have you been drinking your water? Have you been being kind to yourself? I know you have. And if you haven't, it's okay. I'm back to remind you. Thank you so much for your patience with this long break. I needed a good long recharge because your girl was seeing the signs of burnout. But I am back and I am ready. And do I have some cool stuff to share with you this season? So stay tuned to the end of the episode for announcements and whatnot, but enough of that, let's get into the episode. So today, we're starting off with a fan favorite from last year, Viking history. Well, kind of. Kind of Viking history. I always heard the rumor that Vikings never wrote anything down, and as a kid, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. As a sixth grader, finding out about the Vikings for the first time... I barely had time to write things down, so I thought, of course, how would these Vikings, with all of their pillaging and plundering, have time to write things down either, Miss Reichelt? That's why I didn't finish my essay. Shout out to my sixth grade teacher. <laughs> Anyways, I, I was wrong. I have since found out that Vikings did indeed write stuff down. And recently, with the discovery of so many new runes and Viking Age artifacts, I did what I do, and I had a chat with good old Google, and come to find out, Vikings were writing up a storm, and runes were not just fancy decoration. So, dear one, we are going to dip our dainty little tootsies into the literal ocean of rune history today and find out where they came from, how they were used, and their magical properties. So without further ado, put your hair into a Viking bun, hop into our time machine, and let's get to it. Vikings did not invent runes. <gasps> La gasp! I know. I know. When I read this, my flabbers were gasted because I always thought that runes equaled Vikings. But nay, nay. Runes go way back, like dating from the 50 CE, which is almost 2,000 years ago. And the Viking era, or Germanic Iron Age, as it is sometimes called, started in 793 CE. Remember, CE goes from small to big, so the bigger the CE number, the closer to you it is. I always forget about that, and I thought that you might as well, so I just gave you a quick reminder just in case, but I digress. Between the earliest evidence of runic writing to the Vikings, we've got about a 700-ish year gap. So if the Vikings didn't invent them, then who did? Great question. No one knows for sure because it was so long ago, as per usual in the history world, but there are some theories. One is that the Roman alphabet heavily influenced the creation of the first runic alphabet, possibly the Germanic war bands that were out raiding people brought it back with them. And the second is that the runes were developed out of a fabulous alphabet soup of alpine languages, the Greek alphabet and the Roman alphabet. 
I think I watched about three hours of Dr. Jackson Crawford's YouTube videos on the subject, which I have, of course, linked below in the in the show notes. He is an instructor of Nordic Studies and the Nordic Program Coordinator at the University of Colorado Boulder. And let me tell you, that man gives a very detailed explanation on the second hypothesis. So for more information on that, please go check out his videos. So whether it's theory one or theory two, what is definitely true is that the runic alphabet took from different languages. Another common misconception about runes is that there is only one runic alphabet. I thought this too, so don't feel silly. It's okay. For starters, the runic alphabet isn't actually called an alphabet. It's called the Futhark. In the same way the English alphabet is named after the two first letters, alpha, beta, the first six letters of the runic alphabet are f, u, th, a, r, k, and thus we have Futhark. Ta-da! And might I say, it is a far superior name than the alphabet. It is so fun to say. Just say it one time. Futhark. <laughs> See, I, t- I told you. It's so fun. <laughs> but I digress. And just like the English alphabet, it changed over time. First, we had the Elder Futhark, which is a super badass name, and then the Younger Futhark, and then Anglo-Saxon Futhark, and some other regional varieties. Elder Futhark started out with 24 rune characters. Then, in 800 CEs, the Futhark was streamlined to just 16 characters, creating the Younger Futhark. Then, after 1300 CE, the Futhark was beefed up again to 33 runes, creating the final variation of the Futhark with some changes depending on the region. The runic system that we are most familiar with today and the one that has become super famous in pop culture, art, media, and spiritual practices and runic magic is the Elder Futhark, which again, such a cool name, such a cool name. (laughs) And I hear you saying, TK, runic magic? Do tell. Did the Vikings leave all sorts of like spells and amulets and all that magical jazz? Excellent question, my delicious donut. I have realized that today is an episode all about correcting misconceptions. I would venture to say that runic magic is one of the biggest surrounding the history of runes. Runes now are used in a way that implies that the character itself holds magical powers. However, at the time that they were being used on the daily, they were just characters used to write stuff. The magic was in the words themselves, not the letters. One of the examples that I heard from my many hours of research (laughs) listening to Dr. Jackson went a little something like this. Let's take the rune Fehu. That's the name of the rune, and it symbolizes cattle and abundance and material gain. And it represents the sound f. By writing or using that symbol, it doesn't mean that you're wishing to invoke more cows to come into your life or more abundance. It just meant that you were spelling a word with the sound f 
in it. <laughs> now, people use them for all sorts of stuff, and when it comes to the archaeological record of rune samples, we have a very tiny percentage of them that have anything to do with magic. The Vikings and the users of Elder Futhark and the other Futharks definitely did believe in magic for sure, but the runes themselves were not magic. So what did people write in Futhark? In the Elder Futhark days, people were mostly just putting their names on stuff, like this is Bjorn's cup, or Sugse carved these runes, very much like kindergarten labeling all the things. <laughs> so so they didn't mix up each other's stuff, which I, I very much love that vibe. I can get behind it because I'm an elementary school teacher. <laughs> Later on, when the Vikings finally popped up and they were using the younger Futhark, they would carve massive commemorative stones to great heroes and warriors and fallen brothers and very like stereotypical Viking things like that. But the younger Futhark was not only used to erect great monuments to warrior peeps nay-nay, they were also used just like we use the alphabet now, to write dumb shit and pass notes and practice writing. There are a ton of sticks and stones and bones and stuff like that found with practice writing on them. Just like little kids in 2023 would practice writing, Viking kids had to do it too. People were very, very literate back then, and I don't know why I'm always surprised. They were Vikings. They weren't dumb. Which, side note, a little pet peeve that I'm working on for myself is thinking that just because people lived a really long time ago doesn't mean that they were dumb or something like that. But that's that's my 2023 goal. I catch myself doing that all the time, being like, hmm, that's surprising. No, it's not, TK. No, it's not. Anyways, but I digress. <laughs> In an interview with Dr. Ranghild Losland, who's a linguist and runologist, and I'm so sorry, I probably butchered her name, she said that the majority of runic findings in Norway are about everyday stuff, like, ooh, Hilda, will you kiss me? I love you. And her favorite is a note written by someone's wife or partner that says, come home now. <laughs> Humans are the same, and I absolutely love it. So, TK, you telling me that there were no magic rune artifacts? No, you silly goose. Of course there were some sick-ass runic magic artifacts, like this terrible curse found on some copper plates from the, uh, 1000s. Rise in the road under the ever-giving stars. Make it crazy mist. Destroy sunshine. I say three anti-gods, nine threats. I am the predator. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> Why is this person so salty? I'm so sorry, friend, but we don't know. All we know is they were super mad about something and they were cursing somebody and it was not going to be a good time for the person who received that curse. And there are several other amulets and charms and binding runes that have magical properties in the words, once again, not the runes themselves. Another thing that archaeological... <laughs> That are... That archaeological... Uh, why? What? Why can I not say this word? Archaeologists are finding is a lot of riddles. <laughs> that was way too hard for me to say archaeologists. 
Anyways, Vikings loved a good riddle. Much to the annoyance of some runologists, the Vikings loved to write in ciphers and riddles and just generally mess around and make dad jokes with their runes. They totally loved it. And they were also quite fond of defacing property and writing graffiti on churches and places that they were definitely not supposed to be. But unlike those Viking runes that are not supposed to be there, my energy is supposed to be here, but it has not been (laughs) as of late. So because of that, I have been trying this new drink called Magic Mind. (laughs) How do you like that transition? But seriously, one of the reasons I took such a long break in between season four and five is because I was just feeling so run down from being an elementary school teacher in the day and a history content creator at night. By the time that I would get home, I had almost no energy to do anything other than like crawl in bed. So to get over this, I would drink caffeine late at night and then not be able to sleep and then get up tired and then need more caffeine. And it was just a super vicious cycle that I was having a really hard time getting out of. And it was just completely unsustainable. So I made a promise to myself that I would stop drinking so much caffeine to try to pull myself out of the cycle. But I needed something to keep my energy up, so that's why I started drinking Magic Mind. I was a little skeptical at first, but I've been drinking Magic Mind every day for a week, and I've noticed a significant change in my energy levels, my focus, and I've been able to get through the day as a teacher and then come home to work on For the Love of History without needing to have another cup of coffee or an energy drink. One of the things I like the most about Magic Mind is the sustainability and quality of the ingredients, one of which is matcha. And if you've been listening to For the Love of History for any amount of time, you know I live in Japan and I love Japanese history and I just, I just love things, all things Japan. And when I was doing my research and found out that the matcha in Magic Mind is sourced directly from a city in Kyoto, Japan, I was absolutely hooked. Matcha has so many amazing benefits like containing L-theanine, which is hard to say, but it's awesome because it reduces stress. And matcha also contains compounds that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it, which basically means that you get the benefits of caffeine without the jitters and the crash. Seeing how well it worked for me, I would really encourage you to try it out as well. If you're having trouble getting out of your caffeine spiral or you're looking for a way to drink less coffee while still getting some energy help and also increasing your focus and decreasing your stress levels. And you know how much I love you being kind to yourself and taking care of yourself. So the Magic Mind team created a super duper offer for me to share with you. So for the next 10 days, you can get 56% off of your first subscription and 20% off of your one-time purchase with the code Love of History 20. You can use my link in the show notes to scoot your cute little booty over to magicmind.com slash for the love 
So once again, head on over there in the next 10 days to get 56% off of your first subscription and 20% off of your one-time purchase. Thank you so much to Magic Mind for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the runes. If we were able to hop in a time machine for real real and head back to the Viking Age and ask Bjorn or Gunhild or Gorm, hey, can you tell me where runes come from? Gunhild would not be like, yeah, you see like 700 years ago there was a big alphabet soup situation and we mixed some stuff together and bada bing bada boom, Elder Futhark. Nay nay dear one, she would have said, oh, of course. Odin sacrificed himself to himself to give humans runes. Because you see, according to the Norse religion, runes were older than Odin. They were eternal and had always been there. But they were kept a secret from humans because all of the good stuff is kept a secret from the humans by the gods. Why do they do this? There's always one rogue god who thinks that it's unfair and likes to help us poor mortals out a little bit. And Odin was that god. And his ordeal has been immortalized in the Old Norse poem, Havamal, the sayings of the high one. And it goes a little something like this. I know that I hung on the wind-blasted tree all of night's nine, pierced by my spear, and given to Odin, myself sacrificed to myself on a pole of which none know where its roots run. No aid I received, not even a sip from the horn. Peering down, I took up the runes, screaming, I grasped them. Then I fell back from there. So the tree, Odin sacrificed himself to himself and hung himself on <laughs> was, oh gosh, okay, let's try to pronounce this. The tree Yggdrasil, Y-G-G-D-R-A-S-I-L, also known as the world tree at the center of the Germanic cosmos. And it's super duper important because the roots hold the nine worlds together. We can't just have worlds all floating around all willy-nilly. And directly below the world tree is the well of Erd. It's like if smart water was actually smart and wise, for those of you who don't know, um, that was a bad joke because in the U.S. there's a water called smart water. Um, and the well of Erd is supposed to be super wise. You laughed, right? I know you laughed. I know you did. Anyways, the runes themselves seem to have come from the waters of Erd. Odin snatched them right up for the humans and graciously gave them to us. But what happened to these runes that Odin so selflessly sacrificed himself to himself for? <laughs> Our final myth that we are busting today is what happened to the runes and why they fell out of use. Runes are so closely associated with pagan witchcraft magical thingies nowadays that a common belief is the Christian church tried to suppress runes and eradicate them so all the Vikings would convert to Christianity. This seems super duper logical given the track record of Christianity and the church and the desire to eradicate anything they perceive as evil. But in a surprising plot twist, they actually didn't care at all. 
They had no feelings either way when it came to runes. The Vikings were still using runes after the vast majority of them had converted to Christianity. And there are a ton of runic artifacts that talk about Jesus and the Christian God, which I did not expect. That came out of left field. That came out of nowhere. The simple fact is that runes were just hard to write and the alphabet was much easier to use. So runes just kind of went out of use for daily stuff. They never disappeared completely, but no one was sending their partners salty notes telling them to come home using runes. Time passed and runes were barely around, but in the 1500s, some macabre peeps got into the occult and found runes and they were like, ooh, let's use them for magic and whatever it is we do with occult things. Then in the 1900s, the Nazis got a hold of runes and used a ton of them in their disgusting putrid propaganda and on their uniforms. And white supremacists still use them to this day. So I had to be very careful when I was Googling research for this episode. But on a less terrible note, runes have also helped people connect to their heritage again. They are used in modern witchcraft and tattoos and art. And I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Well, my friend, we have come to our final thought, and it is a super fun one. I guarantee you, right now, that you have a rune either on your person, in your hand, or at least within a meter slash three feet of you right now. I double pinky promise you on our friendship. I promise you. And... It's the same one that I currently have sitting next to me right now. In fact, everybody, everybody has this rune, okay? So, whip out your phone and look at the Bluetooth symbol. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, my sweet little pickle. This is a combo of two runes from the name of the person Bluetooth is named after. What? Okay, so the dudes that invented Bluetooth had a bad day after trying to pitch their new tech of Bluetooth and started drinking and talking about history. Then the king of Denmark, Harold Bluetooth Gormson, came up in the conversation and they were like, oh my god. That would be a great name for the thing that we're trying to make right now. And P.S. and by the way, Bluetooth <laughs> in Mr. Harold's name <laughs> referred to the king's rotten dead tooth. <laughs> so these drunk little history nerd tech dudes combined two runes, the rune for H and the rune for B, to create the Bluetooth symbol. So, next time you pull out your Bluetooth or pair a new device, I hope you think of that king and his very poor dental hygiene.
Well, my friend, that is all she wrote. I hope you enjoyed this episode, the very first one of season five. I am so excited for this season and this and the, uh, the this year. I'm so excited that I can't even talk. Lots of good changes will be happening this year. Thank you so much for filling out the census. And if you didn't, no worries. I'm just glad that you're here. Some longer form video content and other Patreon things will be coming out this year after March, like some community events and bonus episodes and so much more. I'm really excited for what is to come. I'm really nervous and I'm scared, uh, but I, I, I think it's going to be great. And to celebrate 2023 and season five, we have a new merch drop that I think is my favorite one that I've made so far because I, I, I make all the designs. It's a university sweater style design with world history, women's history, and weird history written on it in Latin like an Ivy League school. <laughs> it's perfection. And if you'd like to see it or get your hands on one, head on over to the link in the show notes or in the bio of any For the Love of History socials like Instagram or TikTok. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, send it to your other history BFF or randomly airdrop it to a stranger. Use that Bluetooth power. Leave a rating or a review. I'd like to get to 100 this season. Fingers crossed that we can do it. And like always, send me a message letting me know what you thought of this or any other episode because I absolutely love hearing from you. So do something that makes you happy this week. Drink your water. Walk in nature. Be kind to yourself. And I will talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>